Good evening. How are you guys doing? You guys are all asleep, I can tell. How are you guys doing? Just as good as all the kids are. We're tired. We don't want to hear anything. We're here. Well, welcome to our first um, adult faith formation class. Uh, welcome to those who are joining online or who will be watching this later. Um, I'm really excited but really anxious um, because I've never, I was telling uh, the Messias is outside, the only thing worse than teaching adults is teaching priests because they don't just sit there and judge you. They sit, you judge, they sit there, they judge you, they mock you, and they tell you why you're wrong. So luckily, I won't have hopefully a lot of that tonight, um, but I'm really excited um, that we can get um, to this class. And so let's begin as we should do in all things with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we give praise and thanksgiving to you for this evening. We give praise and thanksgiving to you for this community of Elk City and Sayre and the surrounding areas of Western Oklahoma who have come together this evening to continue our journey of faith, our, our journey to knowing you, loving you, and serving you in a deeper and more intentional relationship. Be with us this evening. Help us to learn. Help us to grow. Help us to ask good questions and have good conversation. We ask all these things in your Son's name as we pray together in the words that our Savior gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come on in. So I'm going to be talking um, tonight and throughout this semester and the spring semester. We're going to go through a lot of different topics. Um, I want to cover classes in ways that we didn't get it growing up in catechesis. I mean, most of us, we went to religious education or went to CCD, Sunday school, or when we went through RCIA, there's a specific formula that most of those classes take, and it's memorize, regurgitate, and recycle. Basically the same thing we got in high school. We want you to memorize prayers, we want you to memorize saints, we want you to memorize facts, and then once you go to confirmation, you graduate from church! And then we never see you again until you're having your first kids, getting married, your parents or grandparents guilt you into coming back, whatever it may be, and we struggle with that. And what the new evangelization um, really begun with the end of Pope St. John Paul II um, going through uh, Pope Benedict and now with Pope Francis really has taught us is that we as Catholics do really, really good when we talk specifically about facts and information. Our non-Catholic brothers and sisters in the Christian faith do really, really good when it comes to talking of Scripture and when it comes to talking about relationship with God. For me growing up, and I've talked about this in a homily before, if I had someone that came up and asked me 10 years ago, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I'd say, no, I'm Catholic. I'm not a Baptist. Because for most of us growing up, that's not what we talked about. We talked about the Ten Commandments. We talked about the sacraments. We talked about the gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about those things as we go through this class a little bit. But what I really want us to focus on is the big why. Why am I Catholic? Why does it matter what church I go to? Why does it matter what faith I profess? Who is God in the first place? So these first four classes that we're gonna have, tonight we're gonna start with who is God? We're gonna go through some of the history, some of the understanding from the church. Um, I'll, I'll bring out some of my resources that I've been using because I kind of put these classes together of a hodgepodge of materials that I've been studying with. But then once you figure out who God is, well, let's break apart who God is. So next week, we'll be talking about God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. The week after, God the Son, second person of the Trinity. And then the week after that, God the Holy Spirit. So these first four weeks, just like the first three commandments, are going to really focus on the why and the who. Because for many of us, we hear, well, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. What am I being saved from? What am I being saved for? And that's a question I think that many times we don't ask ourselves. Um, as a priest, uh, these last four or five years, I had many in the older generation, which is anybody over the age of 65, older, not old, but older generation, have said, Father, I don't commit any sins. Why do I have to go to confession? I said, you don't commit any sins? None. Well, there's one right there, pride. 
um, or lying or whatever you want to fill in the blank there. But we commit so many sins because we don't really realize what sin is because we don't realize when we sin, who we sin against. So tonight, I want to talk specifically about who is God. Some of the texts that I'll be using, the most important texts that I'll be using are these two. You may have seen them before. You may not have seen them before. This one, the source and summit of our faith, the Bible. Yes, as Catholics, we are going to talk about Scripture. Every week I plan on having some Scripture for us to read. If you want to bring your Bible and read along, that's fine. We can even talk about why what you're reading and what I'm reading, though it's the same chapters and same verses, may say different things. We can talk a little bit about that. But also, this book, does everybody know how old the Catechism of the Catholic Church is, this, this edition? 1983. So this book is only 38 years old. Before this, we had a catechism that came out in 1917 called the Baltimore Catechism. It was about this big. Many of you guys grew up with the Baltimore Catechism. I got it as a relic. Now, it's, well, it's not that old, but I mean, it was before my time because this came out two years before I was born. Yes, I realize I'm young, but I've also studied a lot and engaged a lot in my faith. But since 1983, we have had the second edition of the Catholic Catechism of the Catholic Church. In here, any question that you have about the faith, I guarantee you're going to find it in these pages. And one of the most important things in this class that I want us to get out of it is what you hear the Catholic Church is and teaches and believes, and what the Catholic Church actually teaches and believes, nine times out of ten are different. Why? Because the church is God-given, we are sinners. We make mistakes. We embellish the truth. If you've ever played the telephone game, I mean, come on. And now talk about things that matter in life. And I mean, just small town Oklahoma, I've learned really quick, you have to watch what you say because you're going to hear it back five different ways in five minutes from people you didn't even know were related to each other because you guys are all related to each other. Am I lying? So, if I were to ask you the question, if someone comes up to you and says, who is God? What is the first thing that pops in your head? Creator. What else? Father? Supreme being? A redeemer? Go deeper than that. Well, and I'm saying that in a, those are all true. But at the heart of who God is, is not creator, is not redeemer, is not sanctifier, is not supreme being. At the heart of who God is, we get from John, specifically 1 John 4, 8. And it's three simple words. God is love. At the heart of everything that we're going to talk about is the truth that lies in the fact that God is love. Love. In fact, I can remember when I was teaching confirmation class when I was in my pastoral year at St. Charles in Oklahoma City, we had this um, awesome um, catechist from Africa, and he had this very thick accent, and he would always say, God is love. God is love. It's like, dude, we get it. God is love. I'm going to be that guy this whole class because at the heart of why we do what we do is God is love. And from the first paragraph, so when we talk about the catechism, it's broken up into chapters, it's broken up into units, it's broken up into sections, but they, anytime the catechism is referenced, you will never get a page number. Whatever number you get next to CCC, catechism in the Catholic Church, is the paragraph number because each page has so much depth in it my hope is in this class to get through the first, not today, but in this year, to get through the first third of the catechism, basically, because that is the creed. People ask, well, what does the Catholic Church teach and believe? Well, you can say the creed. Well, where did the creed come from? Well, Council of Nicaea in 325. Well, what does it say? We say it every Sunday. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and on and on and on. But then, depending on what church you go to, you get this other one called the Apostles' Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator. Wait a second, there's different words there. Why are there different creeds? It's not different creeds, different times that then added upon, because as Catholics, we believe in Scripture and tradition. Tradition that has accumulated over time. 
And so in the first paragraph of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we get a basic definition. And this is not going to sound like a basic definition because it is chocked full of information. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. For this reason, at every time and in every place, God draw, draws close to man. He calls man to seek him, to know him, to love him with all his strength. He calls together all men, scattered and divided by sin, into the unity of his family, the church. To accomplish this, to accomplish this when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son as redeemer and savior, in his Son and through him, he invites men to become, in the Holy Spirit, his adopted children and thus heirs of his blessed life. That, there's a lot that you can pull apart just from that first paragraph. Basically, what it's saying is because God is love, he created humanity. And he created humanity, you and me, out of that love to embrace that love, share that love, and return to him in love. Sound familiar? Have you listened to any homily since I've been here? You've heard that phrase. Because at the heart of our faith, of our relationship with God, is the fact that we were created in his image and in his likeness. In fact, in the first book of scripture, which is Genesis, in the second chapter of Genesis, we hear God created them male and female. In his image, God created man. And God created us. Everything that we are called to do in our life is because of God as our creator, God as our supreme being, God as the ultimate lover. With me so far? Also, if you have any questions as we go through the class, please feel free to raise your hand. My only thing is I have to end at 7.30 because I know a lot of you guys have kids. And a lot of you guys have things to do when we're done. So my plan is to be out by 7.30. Sometimes I'll have stories. Sometimes I'll go down rabbit holes. It'll be like a Sunday homily because that's just how I teach, how I preach. It's kind of how I function. What's interesting is in both the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed that we just spoke of a second ago, how do we begin those? I believe and we believe. It's important that we look at those words as creedal statements, that those are the beginning of any creed in the history of time begins in I believe, I profess, I proclaim. And what's interesting is when creation began, in the beginning, God created, God created, I will, I will. And then there was a change. Instead of let me make, he changed it to let us make man in our image. In all of the days of creation, the only time that is referenced the Trinity in total, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is when man is created. That's important. Um, there was a Cardinal um, Schoenberg uh, who wrote a book that talked about man being the crown of creation. Do you guys know what that means to say the crown of creation? That at the epitome of creation, is humanity in the image and likeness of God. In God's eyes, we are the best of the best. Nothing tops us. Have you watched the news lately? We must look at God and say, what are you thinking? What were you thinking? But in the beginning, in the garden, there was no sin. In the garden, God gave us everything that we needed to be successful. And we, Adam and Eve, our fa father and mother, chose to want more. Have you ever had that time in your life where you weren't satisfied, no matter what you had, and everything just seemed to be perfect, but you were still unsatisfied? Do you know why that is? A, because we're sinners, and B, because ultimately the only thing that can truly bring ultimate satisfaction in our lives is God. That empty place in our lives, in our heart, we're like, ah, I just need more, I need more, I need more. That is the place that we're called to prepare for God in our hearts. In fact, we sing about it every single year during the Advent and or Christmas season. Do you know what song we sing about that in every year? Joy to the world. 
Not the joy to the, not that one. Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing. We are called as humans created in the image and likeness of God out of his love to embrace his love to invite him into our lives. Not to just invite him into our lives, but to have him in every moment of every day, of every thought, of every decision, of every action of our lives. Oh, but Father, I I don't want him to be in my life sometimes. I mean, I make some dumb decisions. I said, welcome to being human. We all make dumb decisions. It happens. But God, who is love, doesn't stop loving you despite our moronic decisions sometimes. In fact, as little children, we learned that God's love is unconditional. What does that mean? What does it mean to say God's love is unconditional? Always, right or wrong. No matter what you do, you cannot make God not love you. It's not possible. There's nothing that you can do that can ever decrease the amount of love that God has for you. There's nothing you can ever do that can ever make God not love you. I realize I'm using double negatives, no English majors. But there's nothing that we can do that can ever change the way that God looks at us. What we can change and what we do change when we choose sin, which is a rejection of the love of God at its very basis, is we turn our backs on God. Just like for those of you guys that have kids, your, your kids are so cute and they love you until that first time they say no. Or that first time that you say no. God doesn't respond that way. He says, I still love you. I still love you. I still love you. When we are in our deepest, darkest, most shameful moments of our life, I talked about on Sunday at two of the three masses. I love you. I love you. I love you. That is ultimately what God says every moment of every day. The way that I understand it, I follow St. Augustine. St. Augustine lived in the 4th century, died in the 5th century. Um, His mother, St. Monica, we celebrated her feast day this past Friday. Uh, St. Monica, for those that don't know, that she's not just a church that's in North Oklahoma City in Edmond. St. Monica was the mother of St. Augustine. And for over 30 years, think about that, 30 years, for my lifetime, her role in her family was to pray for the conversion of her husband and of her son. Now, St. Augustine, before he converted, he was a pagan, a.k.a. he wasn't baptized. But he was this great just great orator. He could go into any crowd and everyone would listen and he just could talk about anything and people would just be engaged. But he didn't know the Lord. Every morning, every afternoon, every night, Monica prayed for her son, prayed for her husband's conversion. So much so that Augustine at that time, when he was baptized and confirmed in his adulthood, which means he received all the sacraments of initiation. We'll get into that later in the classes. When he received all the sacraments of initiation, they didn't have seminaries like we know them today. Like seminary today, for those that don't know, I had to go to eight years of advanced education to wear this. $400,000 for this. He was baptized, confirmed, rushed to his diocese, ordained as a deacon, ordained as a priest, Now he's a bishop and doctor of the faith. Now Augustine, in his pagan life, had a child out of wedlock. Slept around. When we look at sinners, I mean, there's a reason we talk about sinners so much when we talk about saints, because every saint is a sinner. And every sinner is called to live a life of holiness. We are called to turn our back on sin, but again, we have to know why we're sinning, who we're sinning against, before we can make that change. And St. Augustine is one of the doctors of the faith, specifically when we talk about God. He wrote this whole treatise. It's about yea thick. I had to read it in seminary. It will blow your mind. It is beautiful, but if you've ever read something from the 4th or 5th century and you think reading scripture is hard, 
Think about reading scripture in Shakespeare's tongue. Exactly. I don't want to do this. But he wrote this book called De Trinitate, which is on the Trinity. And in that, he really tried to understand who God was. The problem, though, is we are finite. God is infinite. So what does that mean? We have limitations. God does not. God is all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful. And so many times we try and trap God into our language. Well, if God is all-powerful and he is all-knowing, can God think of a being that is so big that he can't move it? Because if he can't, he's not either all-thinking, or if he can, he's not all-powerful. We're trying to limit God into our box. But that is a typical false proof against the existence of God as we think of him. We fall into that trap many times because we take things that seem true and place logic upon them. The problem is in the field of logic, there are certain ways to prove something and disprove things. Remember when you, did anybody take geometry growing up? Did anybody not take geometry growing up? Uh, I know. Well, in geometry, one of the things that we had to study were called proofs. Did anybody hate those things? This, therefore this, therefore this, therefore this. That's the basis of logic. So when I come out and say that the world doesn't think logically, I'm not talking about how we process through what is right and what is wrong. I'm talking about like the actual study of logic. No, this is a logical fallacy because you can't prove that that's true because of this fallacy and this fallacy. That like per logic, the study, you are wrong. You can't say that I'm wrong, but I can prove it. Just because you think it's true doesn't make it true. I agree with that. The problem though is we live in a world and in a society that bases truth on feeling and on thought. God is. When God revealed himself to man, what did he say? I am who am. When you conceive of God, that's who I am. But you can't conceive of God completely. Because if you can, then he isn't really God. I realize that that's a tongue twister and just bring what? But if you could encompass the the totality of God in your brain, that's not who God is. And that's why we struggle sometimes to talk about God as a totality because we're like, well, if I can't know everything there is to know about God, can I really know anything about God? Yes, we can. There are things that we can positively say about God, but it doesn't encompass who God is. In fact, there's this old story about St. Augustine struggling with the Trinity And so St. Augustine was walking by the seashore one day, contemplating the mystery of the Holy Trinity, when he saw a little child running back and forth from the water to to a spot on the seashore. Now, St. Augustine lived in North Africa by the Mediterranean Sea. So think about the Mediterranean Sea when we're telling this story. The boy was using a, a shell to carry water from the ocean, Mediterranean Sea, and pour it into a small pit that he had made in the sand. Augustine came up to him and asked, what he was doing. He says, I'm going to pour the entire ocean into this hole. So the guy is like, what? That's impossible. My dear child, the sea is so great, and the shell and the hole are so little. That is true, the boy said. It would be easier and quicker to to draw all the water out of the sea and fit it into this hole than for you to fit the mystery of the Trinity and his divinity into your little intellect. For the mystery of the Trinity is greater and larger in comparison with your intelligence than is the vast ocean in comparison to this little hole. It's profound. But we think that we know everything. We know nothing. In the history of creation, we are nothing. But despite the fact that we are nothing, to God, you are everything. And that's the beauty of the irony of God. In the span of creation, we mean absolutely nothing. 
I mean, we are a blip on a blip on a blip of creation. But to God, your heart, your life, your soul is worth his life. And we'll get into some of that when we talk specifically about the son, when we talk about the need for redemption from sin. But just kind of that, that's kind of where we're going in the classes in the future. So when we talk about God, who is all-knowing, all-loving, what are some of the questions you guys have about God in general? Don't be afraid. What, what questions do you have about God? Like, if I were to say to you, tell me what you know about God. Tell me who God is to you. What would you say besides God is love? Because I already took that answer. That's a struggle. Most times we haven't thought about it. And that's why starting this course with talking about who God is, is at the foundation of everything we're hoping to build on. Because we need to be able to talk about who God is. One of the biggest struggles for Catholics and for Christians in the world today is that we don't talk positively, we talk negatively. Well, this church teaches this, so they're wrong. This church teaches this, so they're wrong. The difference between Catholic Christians and non-Catholic Christians is not as wide as we think it is. And we'll get into some of that as we go through the class as well. But we have a whole lot more in common with our Christian brothers and sisters because they're Christian. They believe in the same God. They are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are validly baptized. And so beyond anything else, they've been claimed by Christ who claims each and every one of us through our baptisms. But why do we just have this desire sometimes within us to prove others wrong? Because if I'm right and you're wrong, I'm better. The root of all evil, pride. Satan wants us to get into that tit-for-tat match many times, into that I'm better than match so many times that we lose focus of what we're doing in the first place. Some people like to argue just for argument's sake. You give us a topic, we will sit there and say you're wrong until we're blue in the face or we've passed out. But what have we really accomplished? You guys all know someone like that. I'm not just talking about me because I'm one of those people too sometimes. But you know family, friends, coworkers, bosses, employees that are like that. We've all fallen into that trap at times ourselves in our life. But we have to take that step back and say, why do I have to always be right? And it goes to the heart of who God is for us. That's the, the heart of that question. Why do I have to always be right? Because if I'm not always right, the way I've lived my life may be wrong. And we are all, as sinners, wrong at the way we live our lives. And so we can just either sit there and be like, oh, crap, I'm screwed, there's no, cho- no chance, we got nothing to do, or we can do something about it. We can make a change. We can try to grow in our faith, grow in our understanding of who God is, which then ultimately, because we are created in his image and likeness, get the understanding of who we are. If I were to ask you who you are, what's an answer that would come to mind? Cheater. So you got it. At the heart of everything, normally we'll say, hi, my name is so-and-so, or I, this is my profession, or I'm married to so-and-so, or I'm the father of so-and-so, or mother of so-and-so, or family member of so-and-so, or I do these things. We normally talk about what we do. We're trying to explain who we are. But at the heart of who we are, we are all the same. Children of God, by adoption. We are each created in his image and likeness, and at the heart of who we are is that truth, is that reality. But for many of us, we don't believe that. We don't live that. We don't act as if we are who we are. Because if we did, the confessional line would never end. 
If we did, the church would be packed. Now, I mean, we're doing pretty good tonight. We've got over 50 of us here tonight. That's fantastic. This is, this is my expectation. It's awesome. Come back again next week. But, but there's so many things that we have because of that three-word definition of God. God is love. And God gives us so many gifts in our life. What are some of the great gifts that God has bestowed upon you? Think about that for a second. How has God blessed you? Well, he hasn't really blessed me. I mean, I just lost my job or um, I, I lost a child um, due to suicide or, or I had a uh, pregnancy that didn't go full term. Or how could God possibly love me? How could God possibly, how could I think about blessings when there's so many tragedies in the world? The fact that we are able to hear, to see, to think, to breathe. In fact, we have our senses, unless we have COVID, and if you can't smell or taste, get out. No. But I mean, we have those basic gifts that we just take for granted. But on top of that, there's so many other gifts. Grace, an unmerited gift given to us by God. Grace helps us in any and every situation to bear the weight of the cross that we are called to bear. That's not saying that it's going to make it okay. That's not going to say that it's going to make it easier. But it helps us bear the weight of that load. In fact, when Jesus goes and heals people, and he says, your blank has saved you, what does he say has saved you? Your faith. How do you get faith? Well, Per chapter 26 of the Catechism, or page 20, paragraph 26, faith is a man's response to God who reveals himself and gives himself to man, at the same time bringing man a superabundant light as he searches for the ultimate meaning of his life. So faith has things to do with our faith, but ultimately at the heart of faith is it's our response Seeking for meaning in life. That's what faith is. When we talk about, are you a person of faith? Yes, I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Awesome. What are you doing about it? James, faith without works is dead. How do we respond to God's love and at the same time do nothing about it? We don't. Or as the kids on the playground used to say, we can talk the talk, but we can't walk the walk. Maybe that was just my playground in Germany, but I heard that all the time. Can you talk the talk or do you walk the walking? Yeah, whatever. But we fell into that trap and we fall into that trap all the time. We can talk a big game, but then when it comes to the field, the field that matters, we're like, I got nothing. I can't tell you how many people who have been to Mass their whole life, who profess the life of faith, their whole lives, if I asked them a basic question about a fact in the church, could give me something. But if I asked you about your relationship with God, we as Catholics suck about talking about it. We don't, when we hear the word witness, we're like, what'd they do? Like that, that's as close as we get to witnessing things as Catholics. We're like, did they commit a crime? Did they do something good? No, I want you to witness about your faith. I want you to tell me how God has changed your life and what he means to you in your life. Well, um, I mean, I'm alive. Good. That's a place to start. What else? Um, I can come to church. Good. What else? I have hair. Now I'm jealous. But I mean, we have so many of those gifts that we don't look at and say thanksgiving to God about. In fact, that leads me to doing a test that I do every year with my freshmen in high school. Close your eyes. I can see if you're looking at me. Think about your five greatest weaknesses. Name them to yourself, not to me. Open your eyes. Now, close your eyes. Again. Think about your three greatest gifts. 
open your eyes. How many of you were able to think of your five greatest weaknesses? Be honest. Not as many as normal. How many of you were able to think of your three greatest strengths and gifts? You guys are messing up my, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. That's a good thing. But normally, 95% of teenage adolescents can come up with their five greatest weaknesses in less than 10 seconds. Did you notice that I gave you three times as much time to think about your three greatest strengths? Normally, 5% can come up with those. Now, you guys are more seasoned. You guys are adults. You know what you're doing. No, you don't. We, not, we None of us do. But even with that amount of time, how many of us could think of more weaknesses than strengths? And I mean, a greatest strength can be, I've got clothes on my back. It can be, I was able to drive myself today without having to worry about how I'm getting home today. I've got gas in my car. I've got food in my belly. I'm jealous about that too, a meeting afterwards. But we spend so much time focused on the negative, focused on those things that divide us. Why? Because Satan doesn't want us to be united. He doesn't want us to be on the same page. And the easier life is for us, ironically, the further we are from God. Think about that for a second. The easier your life is to manage, not to manage, but the easier your life is, the further you are from God. Why is that? Well, there was a story about a medieval monastery. And these monks had prayed, Lord, help us to see all of the spiritual beings in existence for this 24-hour period. So they go into town, and the town's kind of like a Vegas-type place, Sodom and Gomorrah, where there's bars everywhere and strip clubs everywhere. And there's like, there's like a, one drunken demon over here, like tapping on a guy's shoulder, and a guy whispering over here, yes, you do want to cheat on your wife with her over there. And it's like, there aren't that many demons. I didn't think it'd be that bad. All right. They go back to the monastery, and they can barely get the doors open because there's so many demons inside. And you ask yourself the question, wait a second. It should be the other way around, right? No. Satan's one out there. This is where he has to fight. And that is the same way with us in our lives. That the closer we feel to God, the more you're going to be attacked. In fact, when I'm getting ready to go on retreat, when we were preparing for our work camp we had this summer for Totus Tuus for church camp, I told Katie and Amy in the office, I said, look out. I said, why? Telling you. Good things are happening here in western Oklahoma. Watch out. Nah, I'll be fine. Three COVID scares in a week when there hadn't been COVID scares out here in months around Totus Tuus week. Why? Because the kids that came out here preached the good news to the kids. Same thing happened at church camp. The bus broke down on the way there. The bus broke down on the way back. Now, it's the old bus. We didn't take care of it. That's our fault a little bit, yes, but we did everything we could Yet God still provided. Wednesday morning, called up Bishop McGinnis and said, hey, David Morton, who's the principal, I'm stuck. We've got 50 kids in Wilberton, Oklahoma. He's like, where's that? I said, I asked the same question. It's not near Tahlequah. It's not near Tahlequah. It's that direction. I mean, just say Little Rock that way. But I said, we're in Wilberton, and I'm the only one to get cell phone service out here. I got to get 50 kids home tomorrow. Give me 20 minutes calls up the high school coach, who's one of the top high school coaches for football in the state, who agrees, hey, if, if you can pay for him, uh, for, for his salary for today, we won't charge you for the gas, we won't charge you for the upkeep of the, of the vehicle, he will come and pick up your kids and drop them off. Spent six hours, no, eight hours, because it's two and a half hours there from the city, four-ish back, and then an hour and a half back. Spent a whole eight-hour day picking up our kids, God provided. Satan attacked. Satan tried to throw everything he could at us those two weeks. Why? Because he knew that God was trying to do great things. And that happens to us so many times in life. When we feel down, ask yourself, when was the last time I prayed? I remember in seminary, and we'll get into confession more specifically um, towards Christmas, and so a lot of these classes are going to kind of meld a little bit, and so some of the stories will too. But I remember when I was in seminary, I was having a really, really bad day. I was just pissy. 
I mean, I was a 22, 23-year-old seminarian that was told, dry campus. It's like, what? I'm able to drink dry campus? This isn't prohibition. What is this crap? And so I was having a really, really bad week, and I was frustrated. I called my sister, and she said, Danny, stop. I don't want to stop. I'm complaining. Stop. When was the last time you went to confession? Now, I could have been mature and said, you know what? That's a great question. I, however, was a 23-year-old young adult who had just started drinking legally two years before. Legally. And so I was frustrated. I was pissed. And I didn't understand at that time she was asking the right question. She was asking the question of, where is your relationship with God? Because you're abnormally pissy today. That was her words, not mine. But how many times do we have that response in our lives? Why did I respond how I responded? You ever had those moments after you get into a big fight, into a big argument? Ooh, I kind of went off there. What was going on? My question at that time to you would be, when was the last time you went to confession? Why? Because of those two great gifts we just talked about, grace and faith. God specifically gives us in the sacrament of confession grace to combat those sins that we struggle with, that we confess in the confessional. That that grace, and that grace alone many times, is the only thing that can help us combat those sins. Because many times, we, we look at our sins the same way that we look at New Year's, the same way I look at diets. I say, Coke, please. Diet Coke. Because diets, <laughs> no. My dad grew up teaching us, if I'm going to die, I'm going to have my dessert at the beginning of the meal. If you've ever seen me, anything you see me eat, if I eat nothing else, I will always have dessert in my hands. I'm a type 2 diabetic. But I will always have my dessert. Why? Because if I'm going to die, I'm going out with a sugar high. It's going to happen, and you ladies make some of the best darn desserts I've ever had. Where's Norma when you need her? Man! I'm telling you. But we think that we can just stop cold turkey when it comes to sin. I can't tell you how many times I've said, thought, heard, Father, I don't like to go to confession because I say the same thing every time. Well, I'll tell you the same thing that Father Xavier in seminary told me. One, you're not adding to your list. That's a plus. Two, what made you think you'd be able to get past this by yourself immediately? Pride, ironically, for most of us. That we develop vices, which are bad habits, over time. Statistically, it takes between two to ten times as long to get rid of those habits. So if you have been smoking for 35 years, good luck. My grandma started smoking at the age of 13, four years before she died of emphysema and bronchitis, she finally stopped smoking. I didn't find out till after she died. Now, I was that little kid that was a little <clears throat> pain, to put it nicely, that anytime that I saw grandma, hey grandma, have you stopped smoking yet? No, I haven't. Hey grandma, have you stopped smoking yet? No, I haven't. The same way that St. Monica bombarded heaven about her son, I just went a step further because I was a pain in the butt. If any of you guys have ever smoked, have you ever smoked a cigarette that's been dipped in milk? Rosemary said she'd shoot me. <laughs> See? But I went, I, I stole them, I hit them, I dipped them in milk. What is, why is this so bad? <laughs> because I knew it was bad for her. How many times as parents do you struggle with your kids? Or as kids did you struggle with your parents because they told you no? They do it because they love you, because God loves them. And you do it because you love your kids, because God loves you and God gave you your kids as that ultimate gift of love. That in this life, the closest that we can get as human beings to understanding the love that's shared between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the gift of love making between husband and wife with the result of a child. When St. Augustine talked about the Trinity, he talked about God the Father being the lover, God the Son being the beloved, and the gift of love that they share being the Holy Spirit. Translate that into the sacrament of marriage. You've got a lover, 
a receiver of that love, so husband, wife, the gift shared between them, child. That's why in the faith, we differentiate between sacramental marriage and civil marriage. Because it's not just about what our bodies do. It's about what our bodies say about whose we are. At the heart of everything, we are God's created in his image and likeness, claimed by Christ. And so a lot of people will say, why does the church have such hard teachings about, why why does the church think that they belong in the bedroom? And we hear about these things all the time, don't we? I was listening to the radio today. I heard on five different radio news stations in the area an upheaval about the new law that passed today in Texas. Some of you may know about it, some of you may not. Up to after six weeks, If an abortion is done in the state of Texas, whoever procures it or receives it can be sued by anybody in the state of Texas. People are in arms about it. But if we go back to creation, when it begins, we as Catholics believe when does creation begin, and we'll get into this next semester a little more when we go to Catholic social teaching, life begins at conception and ends at natural death, and that's key specifically in Oklahoma and Texas, because as of just last week, the moratorium on um, executions in Oklahoma was lifted. I immediately texted the bishop, hey, have you heard about this, because he's on the um, Right to Life board for the USCCB, which USCCB, which is the United States Council of Catholic Bishops, which is our bishop's conference, and said, yes, I'm aware, we're looking into seeing what we can do. Because every life, even though we're insignificant in creation, to God means everything. From conception to natural death. Everything that we're going to talk about in this course, in this class, because it's not really a course, in these conversations is based on that because God is love. And we are the gift of from God, not to the world as we think as kids. I can't tell you how many times in my, in my family growing up, my dad told me and my older brother, yes, you are a gift to us from God. You are not God's gift to humanity, though. There's a difference there. Because how many times have we fall into that trap that the world revolves around us, right? But it doesn't. God doesn't revolve around us. But we do matter to God. And that's important for us to remember. To, to, in fact, anyone that goes to confession, the first words that, you say, that I say immediately after the confession, thank you for making a good confession, remember first and foremost that God loves you. Every confession that I've said since I've been a priest, those are the first two phrases. Why? Because the sacrament of confession, just like everything else in the church, is not meant to shame you. It's not meant to make you feel worse. It's meant to make you know and love and serve our loving God. And not just know your sins, but claim them, name them, and turn from them because God loves you. I'm going to keep going back to that. You're going to get so sick of me saying, God is love. I I, I can't not hear it without hearing JP's voice. But it's so important to everything that we are that it's important repeating as often as we can. When was the last time you heard outside of Mass that God loves you? Was it this week? This month? This year? This decade? This millennia? Can we count that now? For most of us, outside of this, these four walls or these whatever, because it's not, you know, these 17 walls or whatever it is, I don't understand architecture. It's like, oh, it's pretty. Yeah, it's not whatever. But outside of these walls, we don't talk about our faith. We don't talk about our God. We don't talk about love. We don't remind each other that we are a gift. In fact, how many times have we thought, man, I wish this person wasn't here? Our thoughts and our words matter. They do. Our actions matter as well. 
Not because of me, not because of you. I mean, they do matter because of you and because of me. But because of who God is. We even hear in Scripture, when we go back to Scripture, God makes no mistakes. Think about that the next time you look in the mirror. After you've called yourself a mistake. After you've told your sibling they're a mistake. Or they're adopted. I've got four siblings. We picked on each other a lot. We were brutal with each other. But at the end of the day, I'd take a bullet for any of them. Even for the ones I don't get along with all the time. Even the ones that I've gotten into physical fights with. Love you, Chris. Even the ones who have sent me to the hospital three times. Why? Because God loves me. And God forgives me. And in faith, I have to take that and implant that on everything in my life. Yes, we can know the sacraments, we can know the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we can know the fruits of the Holy Spirit, we can know the Ten Commandments, and that's important for us to get to. The problem, though, is that's not the place to start. We have to start with relationship. The same way when you're dating someone. How many times do we judge a book by their cover? That was part of the homily last week or the week before. We look and say, she's cute. Look at his butt. You guys know you said it. Don't even, don't lie to me. Kids. But we, we look at each other just on the external. And we grow to love the internal. Or we divorce it. And look somewhere else. But in the church, there is no divorce. Why? Because God calls us to being more. Not better more. God calls us to be authentic. God calls you to be who you are. In seminary, I go to spiritual direction. They had us go every other week, which for me, it's like, I can't talk that much. Imagine I said that. I mean, I'm just saying, I've used three of my five pages, three notes of my five pages in 50 minutes, and I couldn't talk enough. But they'd bring us to spiritual direction, and my directors would always say, that's nice. Go deeper. And it's like, what do you mean go deeper? That's as deep as I got, yo. Go deeper. I mean, the elevator only goes down to the ground level, doesn't it? I mean, like, I'm fat, but come on. But that's part of the struggle was I didn't understand what they were talking about. What they were talking about was go beyond just that skin deep. Go beyond the facade that I see in myself and go to the heart of everything. Because at the heart of every struggle that we have is a struggle with God who is love. It was a struggle who God is real. It's a struggle really of who is God to me? Not who am I to God, but that's part of the struggle as well. But who is God to me? Is he part of my life? Is he something that I remember on Sunday, when I remember to go on Sunday, when there's nothing better to do on Sunday? What do the commandments tell us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Goes back to love. Why? Because God is love. If you want some of my notes, I didn't get into, as I said, like 90% of what I looked at beforehand. Um, I put up on the Facebook page the catechism paragraphs that I was looking at. This week, I'll also put up the catechism paragraphs for every week, like as we get to them. That way, if you want to read through these beforehand, so you can get some of um, the background. Uh, one of the other texts I'm using for this week is called Love Unveiled um, by Edward Shree. Uh, we went, I went through chapter one of it this week because um, it really talks about who God is. It's fantastic reading. Um, in two weeks, when we're, we're talking about Jesus, if you ever thought about the mass, kind of like the, the mass we had last week, Jesus and the Jewish roots of the Eucharist, fantastic book. Um, it goes through comparing the Passover, like the Passover, to the Last Supper, and just all of the images that go through it. It is so profound, so beautiful. And there's other texts that, that I'll be kind of bringing in. Some of you guys like to read. I hate it, but I know that if I don't read, I can't talk. Because if I'm giving you just what I think and what I feel, I'm not giving you this. I'm not giving you this. I'm giving you this. And with this, we're all kind of up a creek without a paddle. Because I'm not perfect. I'm human. I will make mistakes. So we've got about five minutes left. I want to end with prayer. 
Before we end with prayer, are there any questions or topics you want me to be specific to hit on in this class? You guys have my email. It's on the front of the bulletin. Um, If you don't have my email, it's D, as in Danny, Grover, my last name, 2010 at gmail.com. Send me emails. Send me questions. um, Questions you've had about the faith, questions you've had about the church. And and I'll try and kind of sort those into some of the classes. So either at the beginning or the end of every class, kind of like we did last week with the teaching mass, we can have some of those Q&A times. Yeah, Teresa. No, no, it's the same one. So this one came out in 1983. Now, the ones you guys have may have been white. There's different, based on who the um, printer was, it's how they look. This is the same one that we've had since 1983. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, he may have used one called the Baltimore Catechism. That's from 1917. I assume he didn't, but, I mean, I've got copies of it, but again, they're relics. Yes, yes. So, so, so today, um, I specifically reference St. Augustine, De Trinitate. Um, if you want to learn more about the Trinity, I highly recommend that, but it's deep. Um, so you're going to have questions. I still have a lot of questions about it, um, but, but I'll be referencing different church fathers. I'll be referencing, um, I've got about 35 books that I'm kind of going through and referencing, so I'll, I'll let you know at, when the classes come. Here's the text I'm using. Here's kind of the things that I'm kind of pulling from. Um, and this is also what the confirmation class is getting this year, too. I mean, at a different level. Um, so if you have any kids that are in the confirmation class, or if you have any kids that miss confirmation class for whatever reason, have them um, watch this video afterwards, because we're going through more or less the same curriculum. Um, and that's why I've got so many notes, is because I have to prepare those for the confirmation class as well. If you want my notes, um, I can always email them to you. Just send me an email. I'll just forward them on to you. Um, as I said, today I had five pages single-spaced. I didn't get to the majority of them because most of the notes are, here's quotes from the Catechism, here's quotes from Love Unveiled, here's quotes from De Trinitate, or the story from Augustine. I went through and put the link on there as well so you can go. So, so I'm taking it from a lot of different sources, kind of compiling it together. And I don't want it to just be what I think you need to know. I need to know what questions you guys have because everybody comes from different walks of life. Some people are like, okay, you talked about a sacrament. What's that? We're going to get to that. We're going to talk specifically about the seven sacraments in just a few weeks. And then we're going to break through each sacrament and have one class specifically on each of the sacraments because you may think that you know everything there is to know about the sacraments. I guarantee you, you don't. I learn something new every day. Did you know the word godparent is never used in the catechism? referring to confirmation or to baptism or canon law, they use the word sponsor. It's like, huh, no wonder when it comes to RCIA, we talk about your sponsors. We don't talk about your godparents. Any last questions before we end in prayer? Yes, yes, we'll get to that in the baptism class. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we're going to go specifically into each and every one of those sacraments. And so as we, so I will put up um, online this evening or tomorrow um, the basic course, um, the different classes. Um, and Eric has been going through and uh, live streaming this, but also I'll, I'll mention on the Sundays before what the, the class is coming up that Wednesday. Um, if you do miss a class, we're live streaming them, but we're also recording these classes as well. Um, so uh, we'll have them on our Facebook page, have them on the website for anyone to watch. That way you can share them. The easiest way to catechize is just share. If people want to watch it, they can watch it. If not, they don't have to, but that's just an easy way. Um, same thing with the teaching mass last week. Uh, we had uh, 550 some odd views as of this afternoon, like 270 engagements, which means actual people watching. It's like, holy cow, that's fantastic. We don't have that many parishioners. Um, so that's, that, that's a good thing though. Um, one final announcement. Um, For anybody that is joining the church that has not received the sacraments of initiation going through RCIA, which is the rite of Christian initiation, um, immediately after class, after prayer, Kirk Estes, raise your hand. Kirk will be meeting with you guys in the vestibule to get some of your guys' contact information. If you are going through RCIA this year or know someone that may be interested, uh, these classes are going to be part of the RCIA class. And then on the first and third 
Sundays before Mass, uh, they'll be meeting as well. So we're going to kind of put them together as a group on Sundays, put them together in the class with everybody else um, here on Wednesdays. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we thank you for this time we've been able to spend together seeking to know you, love you, and serve you more deeply, more intently, and more, in, and more intimately. We pray that you may continue to work on our hearts as we leave from here. Help us to know your love, embrace your love, and share your love with all we come into contact with until we return here and you call us to your heavenly home. We ask all these things in your son's name, for he lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. If you guys have any questions or want to stay behind, feel free to. But I said we'd be out of here by 730. 731.